Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Steph, I Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. So, Samantha, did you ever do like um, a mentor thing where you shadowed somebody at work when you were a kid or like a take your daughter to work day or anything like that? No. <laughs> oh, no. Huh? Nope. Okay. I know. Simple answers. No, that's great. I mean, well, I don't know if it's great, but <laughs> was it something you wanted to do? Um, I don't know because uh, I didn't know it existed. It was not a thing mm-hmm. in my world. Uh, I assumed as an adult that it was only for sitcom purposes and that it uh, wasn't real. Yes. Okay. That's interesting. I did a few and it was, you know, essentially like I went with my dad to work mm-hmm. and then I think... When I was in high school, there was a program we did where you would choose like one of five professions. And looking back, the professions were not that wide ranging, <laughs> but you would choose one. And they were very gendered also looking back. But you would like get to talk to somebody and ask them questions about their job. So that was cool. I was thinking about this because I actually just, I was doing research into the history of Take Your Daughter to Work Day because I was having a conversation with someone and she brought it up as a point of contention at her job. And I was just kind of curious about it. And then I looked into the history of it and I want to come back and do a Monday mini on it. But um, basically it kind of originated in the 90s and it was part of like this, at the time, you know, feminist push of, you know, showing young girls they could do more stuff. And it's changed a lot since then. I mean, this is very like bare bones of it. I do want to come back and talk about it. But I've also been thinking about this in terms of what the conversations we've been having about the great resignation and women working from home, but having children, uh, you know, around them as they're, right. as they're working and how that conversation is kind of shifting. And I'm just curious about how kids are kind of taking that in. Um, so the episode we're bringing back to you is a classic that Kristen and Caroline did about um, kids, are kids good in the workplace? So I think it's going to feel, I don't know, dated is the right word, because a lot of the issues they talk about are still things that we're talking right. about and still things we're talking about in the Great Resignation. It just is so different right now because we're in a pandemic and a lot of people are teleworking. But I did, I, I've just kind of been mulling over these thoughts in my head and I do want to return to some of them in the future. But in the meantime, please enjoy this classic episode. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, April 25th is Take Our Daughters and Sons to Work Day, which in and of itself is an excellent opportunity to bring kids to work, obviously, judging by the name, but to expose them to life's opportunities and what they can do when they grow up, to give them dreams and everything. Show them how small your cubicle is. Yeah, but it's just a day. It is just a day. You, you can't bring your kids to work Every day. Well, at some places, which we'll get into, but just a word on Take Our Daughters and Sons to Work Day, formerly known as Take Our Daughters to Work Day, which mm-hmm. was started in 1993. I thought it had been around longer. I did too. It was started in 1993, though, by Ms. 
Gloria Steinem, and the Ms. Foundation for Women. And then in 2003, it was expanded to Daughters and Sons. So bring all, bring all those kids. And this year, there will be an estimated 37 million kids going to 3.5 million workplaces. Have you ever worked anywhere where people actually brought their kids to work? No. Neither have I. Not for take your daughters and sons to work. Yeah. I've, I have, uh, our, the House of Works office has hosted, uh, Halloween trick or treating mm-hmm. for kids yeah. at the office, which is great because I get candy <laughs> from it. Um, wait, but, you mean you take it from the children? No, I buy so much candy that I couldn't possibly <laughs> give it all away. Right. Therefore, have to eat their leftover. Exactly. Snicker bars. Exactly. And Twixes. Yeah, I have never worked anywhere. I've never been in an office where, I mean, like, you know, parents bring their kids in to show them off and stuff because they're so cute. But, like, never anywhere where they've brought kids in to show them what they do for a living mm-hmm. to inspire them. But I've also never worked anywhere where there's any sort of babysitting, daycare, you know, anything like that. Yeah, and we wanted to talk about kids in the workplace, A, because of Take Our Daughters and Sons to Work Day, but also because there has been a lot of discussion around this in the past few years. This is becoming on-site child care is becoming a more common feature, especially among larger businesses. And it was also a point of debate with Yahoo CEO Marissa Myers's mm-hmm decision to cut off teleworking for all Yahoo employees a couple months ago now. And people were like, oh, well, Ms. Myers, that is a little short-sighted for, you know, parents who telework who are able to maybe care for their younger kids while they work from home because you, Ms. Myers, built a nursery for your new baby at your workplace. What's up with that? So while we are not here to try to dissect Marissa Myers's, uh, you know, strategy for cutting off teleworking and uh, the whole baby gate over, you know, her her child who like I can't like has has there been more ink spilled over a child that was not, you know, Kate and Williams over in Britain. I don't <laughs> or know. Or one of Brangelina's. <laughs> yes. Uh but the the fact of the matter is childcare when you are a working parent, is a huge cost. Yeah, it is ginormously expensive. It's like college, basically. Yeah. My friend uh, Jessica, who um, her, I think her son is uh, like one and a half now. But anyway, when she was pregnant, she was already worrying about where to send this baby when she went back to work. Right, like, because... You, and how expensive it would be. Yeah, because you want to make sure you're putting your child in the hands of a, you know, someone credible mm-hmm. and who will take care of that baby with tender, loving care and good care costs. Um, and there was a 2012 report from Child Care Aware of America. And in 2011, they reported that the average annual cost of full-time child care for an infant in a center ranged from about $4,600 in Mississippi on the low end to nearly $15,000 in Massachusetts. And that's the average annual cost. So, you know, the the price can vacillate wildly, I'm sure. Um, and then in 2011, for a four-year-old kid, the child care costs ranged from about $3,900 in Mississippi to 11700 in Massachusetts, which is a chunk of change. Essentially, you know, you are working to 
pay for your kid yeah. to be taken care of. Absolutely. And it's really not that much cheaper to put your kid in like a home-based uh, child care center. For an infant, it's 4500 to 10400 And for a four-year-old, it ranges from 4100 to 9600 So it's still so much money. Well, and, and the thing is, too, the, the, the conversation that isn't talked about a lot is how this impacts especially low-income parents. I mean, the, the, the burden there is even bigger because a lot of times these parents might not be working in full-time jobs that mm-hmm. give sick days or paid time off. And if your kid is sick and you have to call in a number of times, you might lose your job just taking care of them. If you're, if you don't have any kind of backup child care, right. um, it, it's a, it's a huge burden that can send parents and especially single mothers into temporary poverty if they're if they already aren't if they aren't on the poverty line to begin with. Yeah, so to put it in perspective, in 22 states and DC, center-based child care fees for an infant exceeded annual median rent payments. And in 20 states and DC, center-based child care fees for two children exceeded housing costs. Center-based child care fees for two children exceeded housing costs for homeowners with a mortgage. For the majority of the country, the average annual cost of center-based infant care exceeded 10% of the state's, that state's median income for a two-parent family and is higher than a year's in-state tuition at a public college. In other words, having a child is very, very expensive. You know, this yeah. is this is a very real challenge for parents and especially for working moms. This was something that NPR reported on in April 2012. Two thirds of women with young children now work and nearly half of them are their family's primary breadwinner. Yeah, and uh, in that same story, they cite Kristen Rowe Finkbeiner, head of the advocacy group Moms Rising, who says that having a baby, and this blew my frickin' mind, having a baby is the leading cause of temporary poverty. Many women, she says, without maternity leave, end up, like Kristen said, quitting to care for the baby, and it's hard to get back into the labor force. She calls this the, quote, cascading impact of motherhood, because, as we know, women tend to make less Anyway, so if they don't have that built-in maternity leave or any benefits to provide for them to be able to stay home, they end up quitting their jobs. They don't have any money to pay for childcare. It's just, it's a whole cycle of awful. And, and there's obviously government assistance out there for child care. But because of, you know, recession era budget cuts, a lot of states have had to slash subsidized child care programs, which impacts a lot of these working mothers very harshly. Right. And another aspect to think about is, yes, you have subsidized care, but um, it doesn't necessarily mandate that you have to have a licensed daycare provider. So. The government does provide grants to states through the Child Care and Development Block Grant, which subsidizes the monthly cost of child care for low-income families. But it doesn't require the use of licensed care. And about one-fifth of the children who receive this assistance, which is about 1.7 million, are in unregulated settings. And in Hawaii, Michigan, and Oregon, more than half of the children receiving assistance are in unlicensed care. And so that brings up issues of health and safety. Mm -hmm. I mean, granted, yes, I'm sure there are plenty of unlicensed places that are 
healthy, safe, you know, good for the babies, but... But there are a lot that aren't. And there's then, no guarantee, yeah. And, and then it leads into the question of, are you setting up a, a cycle where, you know, the kids aren't getting off to a good start for a solid future and they're going to be in the same situation, unable to, you know, put their children in quality daycare. And this is something, you know, we're about to stray off into a whole nother podcast that we could do on that. Um, but the, the question that a lot of, you know, larger workplaces are asking is whether or not on-site childcare could be, you know, a, a real benefit for employees and also improve their bottom line as well. Yeah, one of the benefits, uh, obviously, of employer-provided or assisted child care is the idea that, you know, parents have to miss fewer days. If the kid is on site, you know, then then somebody's watching him and you can come to work and everything's fine. And one company that's way ahead of the curve, way ahead of everybody else in providing child care is... Stride Right. Stride Right. Shoes. The shoe people. The shoe people. And I have fond memories of Stride Right on a side note. Yeah. Because I don't know why my mom really liked Stride Right shoes. Maybe because they were so baby friendly. But those were the first tennis shoes that I ever had that I can remember. Yeah. And I remember the Stride Right box mm-hmm. and everything. But yeah, it was the first U.S. corporation with an on-site daycare established in 1971. And then in 1990, uh, New York Times wrote a story about how they were setting up the first intergenerational daycare center for employees who were caring for not just kids, but also seniors. That's a, a, you know, a care issue that also doesn't come up very much. You might be caring for babies, but what about the growing elder population as well? But it also sounds like maybe the happiest place on earth, like, because they were talking about how at the time when it got going, there were only a few seniors in the center, but like kids Kids would go over and and read with them, like yeah. get, get read to, and I just think I'm like, oh my god, I would love to work there. I mean, I, I don't want to get sick because I feel like kids just make me sick all the time. I'm around a child and I instantly get sick. But it would be cute to watch from like behind disinfected glass. But so okay, so Arnold Hyatt, who was the board chairman for Stride Right, this whole thing was his concept, and it's so great. And they so they said, why? Why are you doing this? He cited increased productivity and decreased turnover. But he still had some reservations because he said, you know, as great as this is, I don't believe corporate daycare answers the need of intervening in the lives of 20 million children under five. And that's true. This this child care issue uh, is, is not going to be solved just with presto. Everybody gets a daycare center at work. But, you know, th- this is, you know, an important benefit for employees. And today companies are seeing real dividends, not just uh, on their bottom line, but also just from looking real good for providing on-site childcare. Uh, for instance, one-third of Fortune's best companies to work for, I believe this was in their 2010 or 2011 list, offered an on-site childcare center. Public supermarkets had the lowest monthly rate for a three-year-old at just $130 a month, which is... A steal. That's a bargain. <laughs> it is. Um, and Cisco is one of the nation's largest providers of on-site child care with 800 kids enrolled. And parents at the Cisco headquarters can track their kids via computer, which is... You that's know, like doggy daycare. <laughs> well, that's also very Cisco, you know, these software developers. Um, and in 2011, the number one fortune company, SAS, was lauded for its high-quality child care at $410 
per month. And the question then is, you know, well, is bringing kids to work a good thing for employees and businesses? Obviously, it looks good, you know, for these companies. We, you and I are both swooning over Stride Right and the idea of an intergenerational <laughs> daycare center. That must be very sweet. But what is the real outcome of this? Well, I mean, it's not as bad as we think it'll be. I mean, there are, you know, jaded, cynical people like me who are like, ugh. Babies at work. Babies at work. Shut up. Shut the baby up. But Mary Secret, not to make myself sound like I'm a monster or anything. Uh, anyway, but Mary Secret, who's a professor at Virginia Commonwealth University, in 2005 did an analysis of 55 baby-friendly businesses and found that people often, like Caroline Irvin, anticipate disaster, but there is rarely a negative effect on coworkers or productivity. And she found having babies around can actually boost morale. And she points out, hey, look, there was never a separation of work and family. So bringing babies to work, it's good all around. Yeah, I mean, that that morale boost is understandable when you think about uh, this 2007 report from the National Conference of State Legislatures, which cited child care as the biggest family-related problem in the workplace because it's a huge source of absenteeism and tardiness. And Business Week cited a cost-benefit study conducted at the Union Bank in Pasadena, California, which showed that the institution's on-site daycare program saved it 138000 to 232000 in annual operations costs due to the reduction in both turnover and absenteeism. And that's just in one place. And then that Business Week article also uh, cited the book Kids at Work, The Value of Employer-Sponsored On-Site Child Care Centers, in which they estimated the savings in wages of 150000 to 250000 to t- for just two companies that provided on-site child care. And there's definitely an effect as far as new mothers go, too. Um, another Business Week story from October 2012 found that it was a good way to get young mothers back to work. I mean, maternity leave isn't cheap, and it's a good way to make sure they don't quit after having children. Sure. Well, I mean, it shows that as an employer, you are taking the whole person into account, not just their life at their cubicle, but what happens outside the cubicle and how home life impacts, uh, you know, the, the work that they're doing. Um, and one thing, too, in all this is the availability of backup child care. This mm-hmm. isn't just, you know, an on-site daycare where you can bring, you know, a kid to work, but say your child is sick, having backup child care is also a crucial resource. Um, Bright Horizons, which is a company that provides backup child care, sponsored a survey, and not surprisingly, they found that, you know, having backup child care is a really great thing. But nevertheless, uh, even though their, their results might be a, a tad biased, uh, they looked into backup child care for 800 employees, and it resulted in a net savings of over 2,500 work days. Because, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to take that time off. Yeah, but it's not totally cut and dry to everybody. Uh, Courtney Lee Adams over at Business Week said that the whole taking your kids to work thing, having on-site daycare is unrealistic. And she says it only benefits a small amount of women. She points out that professional managerial women make up only 8% of the female workforce, whereas 27% of women hold low-wage, blue-collar jobs. So great. Cisco wants to have on-site daycare. How does that benefit the woman who works as a cashier at the grocery store? Right. Yeah, I mean, and and that and that is the the problem. Like the, I felt like when, for instance, the whole debate about Marissa Meyer at Yahoo cutting off teleworking and impacting those working parents, and then her having the, you know, the the nursery built in her CEO suite. Mm-hmm. 
totally missed the point of what, you know, the, the work that really needs to be done from almost the bottom up of looking at these lower income working moms who are the primary breadwinners who are being sent into temporary poverty or long-term poverty Mm -hmm. because of, you know, lack of access to quality, affordable childcare. But I digress. And, you know, she says there are bigger issues like families needing flexible work schedules and just plain gender equality. Right. I mean, some would argue that it doesn't just having on-site daycare is not getting at the heart of the matter that the child care burden does still fall largely on women. Although a recent uh, survey out of the Pew Research Center has found that that gap is narrowing, but still men's work in a way is valued more highly than women's work because we simply expect for you know women to to take care of the kids. Yeah, and speaking of taking care of the kids, what about staying at home? You know, we talked about teleworking at yeah. Yahoo, but um, there was a column over at SheKnows.com that talked about, well, you might not actually be getting as much work done from home as you think you are, as you think you will. Um, you, you might be shooting to stay home and, and spend time with your family, but also get work done. But that could lead to, like, actually, I have to take care of the kids all day and then stay up until 2 a.m. working. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're working from home and trying to take care of a baby at the same time, you're taking care of a baby and maybe getting some work done on the side. Yeah, so the writer actually encouraged moms who find themselves in that situation to consider, like, okay, well, what do you make what do you do and what's the situation with your kids and is it worth it to bring in an outside person to just be there to supervise while you work? Yeah, because a lot of times like you, you know, you need to be able to pay undivided attention mm-hmm. to your work to get it done. Yeah. Imagine if we had a baby in the podcast studio. That'd be kind of fun. Be yeah. A, okay. That'd be a weird podcast. Can um, we just have a puppy? Sure. Okay. Yeah. We're a kitten. <laughs> So the takeaway, it seems like, from this whole question of childcare at the workplace is that, you know, parenting at work is becoming more common mm-hmm. among larger businesses, even down to, you know, more mom and pop operations where it's totally fine for someone to bring baby with him or her to work and telework and flexible options are something that is uh, very desirable for working moms in particular who might need a little more flexibility with their schedule. So it's good that that kind of stuff is being opened up as well. But there is still the, you know, these problems of what about for the majority of working moms who might not be working at jobs that would provide such lavish benefits. Right. And there are, you know, a lot of moms out there who, are in danger if they fall into this temporary poverty of getting caught in a welfare and subsidies cycle mm-hmm. and not being able to get out of it because, you know, they lose their jobs, they can't pay for childcare, you know, they it's it's just a cycle of not being able to get back into the workforce. Right. And considering the fact that the government safety net in a way is not as buoyant as it used to be because of recessionary budget cuts, the situation has gotten even bleaker in terms of that. So, I mean, for for this episode, I really do want to hear from working parents out there who, you know, are dealing with childcare issues. I mean, you and I obviously don't have kids. And when you start to look at the costs of childcare, you know, I don't know, it, it puts it puts not having a child so much more into perspective because, you know, there, it is such a huge cost and something, you know, I worked at a daycare center when I was in late high school and early college. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was so hard to watch the parents for the first time taking their, 
their kids there and then putting their, their babies into my arms yeah. to take care of it. Like, 18. who is this young whippersnapper taking my child away? I, I promise I did the best I could. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's expensive. It's, uh, time consuming. It is not easy. Um, so I want to hear from parents to whether or not on-site childcare really is, you know, a, a great thing that they could take advantage of. And I should say that how stuff works is parent corporation discovery communications does provide on-site child care at their headquarters. So now that we've given you all this information on child care, send us your thoughts. Momstuff at discovery.com. You know, we want to hear from you. What, what are your opinions? What, what have you dealt with? We want to, we want to read your mail. Toby about our episode on women in the military fighting in combat positions. And Toby writes, I think the arguments used by proponents of women in combat is actually doing a disservice to future women soldiers. Unlike other military positions where women simply adapt and learn to work within the confines of an all-male environment, this is one situation where the military needs to make concrete steps to formulate viable solutions for the successful incorporation of women into the new role. To simply place one's faith on the professionalism of soldiers and to make offhanded assumptions that the insertion of female soldiers in combat units would not create any tension, sexual or otherwise, demonstrates a complete lack of understanding of the realities of war. Unit cohesion and combat readiness would undoubtedly be affected for better or worse, and refusal to recognize this fact is naivete at the highest levels, to say the least. Therefore, changes will have to be made to accommodate women and to ensure that women can serve their country in a dignified environment so that they may demonstrate their talent to the full potential. Uh, to which I say, since women have already essentially been fighting in combat positions because the rules of warfare have changed so much in that the front line has largely disappeared, I think women have been acclimating themselves to those new environments. But yeah, sure, the army, you know, should take every step to, uh, prepare their soldiers and thus, you know, have, have them protected as much as possible because you don't want to lose more lives because of women being in combat. And I don't think that's going to happen. So thanks for your perspective on that, Toby. So Jack uh, shared a picture with us. Uh, He said that this is a statue at the Memorial Park in Huntsville, Alabama, and it shows a man and a woman uh, bringing their wounded brother in arms off of the battlefield. He just said that it was a great, uh, it was great that women are getting visibility for being in harm's way. But he goes on to say that I agree with lifting the ban on women in combat. I recognize that the arguments for the ban fall into three categories that you mentioned, and all of them are baseless. I've heard all three arguments, and the disruption to unit cohesion is the most common. The U.S. military is a professional armed force. As professionals, the men and women serving in the force can control their actions and are not distracted from duty by soldiers of the opposite sex. He goes on to say, I served in the Air Force from 1996 through 2003. During that time, I earned the Combat Readiness Medal. It is awarded for 24 months of service in a combat force. The duty title was Missile Combat Crew Member. This is the job of being ready to launch nuclear ICBMs should we enter into a nuclear conflict. I served alongside women in this role, and they too earned the Combat Readiness Medal for this duty. The job involved having two crew members spend 24 hours in a secure bunker underground, ready to turn keys that would launch our ICBM force. In a 
24-hour alert, one crew member had to remain awake, so we split the time into sleep shifts. Crews were made up of mixed genders. There were no problems. Everyone in the wing were professionals and acted professionally. So thank you for sharing your story, Jack, and also thank you for the picture of the statue in Huntsville, Alabama. And thanks to everyone who's written in to momstuffatdiscovery.com. Again, send us your thoughts on parenting and childcare in the workplace. You can do it there, or you can head over to our Facebook page, like us while you're at it, and follow us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. And you can also find us on Tumblr at StuffMomNeverToldYou.tumblr.com. And if you'd like to get smarter this week, you should head to our website. It's HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 